This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Today's episode is brought to you by Fox and Stallion. Fox and Stallion is a Victorian mystery comedy fiction podcast about the best detective team on Baker Street. No, not that one. Season 2 will be airing in 2024 and is currently crowdfunding through May 1st. They have stickers, personalized in-universe thank you letters with wax seal, calligraphy, and all of it, and even a tier where they solve a mystery that you send them. They do want me to note Fox and Stallion cannot guarantee the solving of any mysteries, but they will try their absolute hardest for three to five audio minutes. This show also has everything you could want. Jewel heists, asexual detectives, lavender marriages, and a really old cat. You can find and listen to Fox and Stallion anywhere you listen to podcasts or on their website, 224bbaker.com. That's 224bbaker.com. This episode of Our Fair City is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Please enjoy the show. Loyal Policies. This is Heartlife NFP executive producer Jeffrey Gardner. We're back with another episode of Listener Questions. Thank you so much to everyone who sent questions in. If you think of something else you want to ask us, remember we'll always answer them through social media. We're on Twitter at OFC Radio or on Tumblr at theboardofdirectorsloveyou.tumblr.com. Please also consider making a pledge to our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash heartlifenfp. Pledging gets you access to monthly Our Fair City-themed playlists by DJ Catnip, along with other great rewards. Today, we'd like to give a special shout-out to one of our backers, Stacy Looney. Stacy, in recognition of your contributions to the company, you've been granted an additional 15 pitch-in by snitchin' points, redeemable for your favorite Archibald Funny Pants Variety Hour souvenirs. Keep reporting disloyalty in your fellow policies, and good luck. Thank you all so much for listening, and as always, we'll see you in the tunnels. Prunella Modularis, I'm going to say Prunella, on Tumblr asked us about, um, uh, was very excited that we're doing this, so thanks everybody for being here, that's awesome. Uh, and wanted us for recommendations, right? So, like, if you like Our Fair City, and we're all really into this, um, what are cast and crew favorite novels and comics? What do you love to read in your spare time? In far as comics alone, if we're sticking straight to comics, um, great one. If uh, if you're into like sort of like offbeat, really good Orion. Who's that? By? It's I don't remember the man's name, but it's the same person who writes Ghost in the Shell, okay. who wrote Ghost in the Shell. Um, and then other one on my totally, I do like a lot of like weird, you know, uh, weird comics. Um, there's one that I've been wanting to follow for a long time. I picked it up in a 25 cent bin. Um, and I've contemplated uh, getting the trades online, but you know, laziness and like, when am I going to read this, et cetera, et cetera. All the other reasons I haven't, you know, watched Citizen Kane or read all sorts of other things that I haven't read. 
Um, it's called Thieves and Kings. It's by a like Canadian indie publisher dude. Um, it's kind of has a weird like not something I totally normally dig. Like it's very like feel good, like kidsy, like you know. Uh, it, it, it makes me feel very innocent in a way, which is something I I like a lot about it, and also something that I normally don't uh, search out or per or like seek out in comics. If you like. Our Fair City, if you love Our Fair City and you're looking for similar materials to check out, uh, I think one of the best books I've read in a very long time was Station Eleven. Oh, my God. That was mine, too. Oh, oh that book is so I good. Copy. <laughs> it's so good. Did you bring it for me? I totally forgot. No! I'm sorry, Jeffrey. It's so good. <laughs> yes. One of the things that I love about Our Fair City and uh, sci-fi storytelling in general, I'm a big ap- apocalypse junkie. I love exploring the hows and whys of what ends a civilization and then forces us to examine what parts of that civilization we uh, care enough about maintaining. And Station Eleven uh, handles all of these things in really beautiful, elegiac kind of ways. The character development is really rich. And the um, pop culture that it's based on is really engrossing. And you see a lot of the whys of what this uh, MacGuffin story, uh, within the story that is carried through and its significance to the different people, the, the different survivors in a way that I find really Heart wrenching. Is it a comic or a novel? It's a novel. 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 Yeah. The thing. It's an adult novel? It's an adult novel, definitely. The thing that I always, the thing I always say, I often tell people about Station Eleven is that it is, it is a piece of, of post apocalyptic writing that still manages to have a really positive point of view about humans Mm -hmm. and like who we are as people that ultimately the people in this story want good they want to live they want to love they want to make things like like some terrifying things happen in it but like but ultimately like the people are people that at the end i go like yeah that's 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 what people are like. That's like those that. are the ones that we have yeah. to live for. Those yeah. are the ones that are going to help us persevere, kind of like in that classic Chekhovian kind of way, where we're all working for the betterment of the generations coming after us. Uh, another one is I love Snowpiercer. <laughs> I love it so much in the movie format, and also it's a French. It was originally a French graphic novel from the early '80s. It has yeah. two big ass trade paperbacks that you can find in hard or find in hardcover. They're so pretty, and a third one came out like in the past two years or so. Yeah, I think as a result of the comments, film. Anything by Mobius. Yes, um, and that has a lot of uh, like trappings that are reminiscent to OFC, I think, but are still like very much of its own right. Um, the movie is action-tastic, and the graphic novel is very um, introspective. And so if you get both of them, then... Oh, and Chris's beard. Oh, and Chris's beard. <laughs> oh, I love him. Yeah. The movie's real fun. <laughs> but there's a part I can't watch. Yeah. Um, let's see. Also, uh, to... Uh, piggyback a little bit on Station Eleven if I'm just going to do uh, post-apocalyptic stuff real quick because that's also like OFC. Uh, if you live in an area that has a strong theater scene or if you're a theater person and and if you read scripts, 
I would recommend you read or see if you ever have an opportunity to Mr. Burns, a post-electric mm. play. I'm going to second that. Has very similar oh my God. structure and uh, a lot to sense Station 11. to yeah, Station it Eleven. Yep. But it is based on a small group of people having survived a cataclysmic event that are keeping themselves warm and safe and comforted by retelling in this world that has no electricity, retelling the Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons. And it's a, a wonderful meditation on the necessity for storytelling and how those needs change for different cultures over a, an elapsed period of time, too. It's, it's so brilliant. It's so smart, and it's really, oh, it's, it's very emotional. Um, also, Wool. Comic-wise, anything by Mike Mignola, who does Hellboy. So the Hellboy, uh, Balt- the Baltimore series, the Witchfinder series, they're all basically gothic horror which is my jam. Book-wise, I I have a lot of Terry Pratchett. I have most of Terry Pratchett. You might be able to tell that. That's why I'm on the Animaniacs side of the road. (laughs) Um, The Lady Trent series by Marie Brennan, which is a Victorian woman who studies dragons, um, is really good. And then my favorite, or one of my favorite, my two favorite books are Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, and the Night Circus, which are very similar. Mm. Both of those are on my list of yeah, list of list of those media I really haven't gotten to books. yet. I also feel like this is an appropriate moment to mention for anyone listening who doesn't know that Jim wrote a book. <laughs> it's really true. good. It's really. I feel like quite people should know that. Yeah, aren't um, you the plug guy? Weren't you talking about plugs? <laughs> so Jim First rule of plugs, for, for, plug yourself for other people. So Jim wrote. So Jim wrote a book called The Unattractive Vampire. Did I got that right? And, and unattractive. unattractive vampire. That's Sorry, a lot of pressure to put on one unattractive vampire. <laughs> my bad. My bad. And uh, and it and it's sitting on my table right now. And it's available on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Yeah, and you can you get go. it on Audible. And, yeah. That's how you plug it. There we yeah. go. All right, Marsha, how about you? Also in the vein of post-apocalyptic literature, uh, one of my favorite books in the whole world that I recommend to everybody, and I recommend to two people in this room, um, but I think you'd already read it. Is the the Gone Away World yes! by Nick Harkaway? Oh, oh, it is this so good! Book is so good. Oh, I forgot to mention web comic it is now. also it is also a um, it is post apocalyptic. Um, although we we sort of start at the end and come back and go through the apocalypse. Um, it is funny. It is uh, silly funny sometimes, but it is very dark. It does some really interesting things narratively and has some like – It has such a good twist. It has a great twist. It has oh. a thing like there's a thing at the beginning that I go, huh, I guess I guess I'm never going to know the answer to this thing. So I'm just going to decide that that's not important. And then later I'm like, oh, that actually in fact is very important and is the key to everything. Um, I don't think that was a spoiler. Um, the other thing I just read um, – I'm, I'm working on a theatrical production of A Wrinkle in Time right now. And when I was a kid, I was I, I sort of conflated Ursula Le Guin, Ursula K. Le Guin, and Madeline Langle. Mm. I think because of the le part. Yeah, I can see um, that. Sure. Yeah. But so I just read uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's The Left Hand of Darkness, mm. which uh, I'd never read. I'd never actually finished any of her Oh, any of her stuff? Yeah. Earth, Earth Sequentet's good, too. Yeah. Um, I think I tried to read Wizard of Earthsea when I was a youth and, and failed to finish it. But this was fascinating it has a lot uh, it was written in the 60s but it has a, a unique approach to 
gender. It's set on a on another planet where human beings evolved differently as as far as gender and sexuality goes. Uh, and so while in some ways it's written with the trappings of the 60s, it's also very, very current and very interesting to um, in the way in the way it approaches gender and sexuality. Um, and it's also about all kinds of other things. Uh, but that's the left hand of darkness that I just finished. Those are my those are my things. All right, Jeffrey, what about you? So uh, for early inspiration for our fair city, one of the big ones is Brazil. Oh, yeah. Which is like uh, if you want for me, if you want to get how I have always pictured the tower and the tunnels, watch Brazil. It's an amazing piece of film. It's heartbreaking and awful. Um, uh, Terry Gilliam. And, uh, you know, to, to actually to, in an interesting kind of separate way, uh, a lot of 12 monkeys, which he made later also plays into our fair city's aesthetic. Um, lately I have been devouring N.K. Jemison's work, who she does, she has these amazing novels. Um, the fifth season, uh, her first book, The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. Um, really, really cool. Thank I you, Eleanor. Yeah, I read 100,000 Kingdoms. So good. I think, you said, I think you led that to me. Yeah, I think I did. For comics, I love Saga, of course. Uh, the Wicked and Divine. Um, a, a thing to find. It was originally a webcomic, um, uh, but was published in a full like omnibus edition, is Digger. Which yeah, is, I was going to throw that out there because I'm currently reading Digger because you recommended it to I me. I will let you talk about it. Um, so it is it – is the, the protagonist is an anthropomorphized wombat. wombat. Remember that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wombat who finds herself – comes out the other end of a tunnel and finds herself in a land that she doesn't recognize where there are – there's gods and trouble and – kind of gets into a bunch of trouble that she doesn't want to be part of. She's like, I just want to go home uh, and can't get home. Uh, it's really fun. Yeah. It's really, it's really, it's really fun. It's really fun to watch this protagonist who is uh, so kind of otherworldly in the role of like straight man, so to speak of like, of like, Dealing with like ah, what's happened? Why am I dealing? What's this? Why do I have to deal with this? It's great. It's really yeah. fun. I'm really enjoying it. Right, she's the yeah. reader stand in, even though like her point of view makes very little sense to me. <laughs> bone, bone, yeah, bone is wonderful. Too. Yeah. So yes, digger. I, yeah. I'm really enjoying that. I'm like three quarters of the way through. Uh, do you want to continue? That I'm all mine got set. <laughs> okay, for a graphic novel series, uh, lock and key. Written by Joe Hill, illustrated by Gabe Rodriguez. It's wonderful, beautiful world building. It's really uh, evocative work. The The concept is that this family has moved into the key house on Lovecraft Island. And the keys can be ac- uh, are accessible to the teenagers, but not to the adults in the family. And the keys don't just open doors, or they don't just open doors that go into other rooms. Because if you open a door using one key... Uh, and you try to step through it, you fall down, quote unquote, dead, and your spirit goes through that door, and then you can be a ghost until you get back to your body. There's another door that you can open and uh, turn into your natural Patronus or animal form. It's 
all these really wonderful uh, parallels to how it feels to be taking on like it. It feels a lot like it's very reminiscent of what it is to uh, go through puberty and like uh, the different like set, uh, ideas of yourself and reconciling who you are with who you want to be and like forms of escapism in that way. It's really interesting. And also there's an overarching mythology to the keys that is really dark and engrossing. So totally check that out. It's a, the series is complete, but you know, Joe Hill, Stephen King's son. So he's never really going to entirely walk <laughs> away from a property. So he's probably going to like add little dips and dabs to it, like in perpetuity. But there is a complete story that you can absorb at this point, And it's fascinating. The other thing is Margaret Atwood, Margaret Atwood, Margaret Atwood. <laughs> but everyone who listens to OFC, you uh, yeah, definitely. Read thank Margaret you Atwood. so much, and everyone uh, that wants to be a creator as well. Uh, you can only make yourself a better creator if you're reading and absorbing other people's art that you are passionate about. And so, thank you so much as one of the people that has helped you bring to bring you OFC for helping us make this happen. Vrack on Tumblr asks, on an entirely shameless fanish note, am I the only one who's been increasingly expecting Monty and Herbert to smooch this season? <laughs> well, now I am. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's a yes there from catnip. There are lots of pleased smiles around the room. Yes, yes. <laughs> that should happen. Okay, great. Um, Soap Lady asks... Chai or spicy hot chocolate, which is better on a cold Chicago morning around the circle? Chai. If you can get decaf chai, by far chai. I don't even know what chai is, so hot chocolate. Oh, goodness. No, you have to mix those two. Mm. Clearly. Clearly. Uh, Well, given the choice, the answer is always chocolate. Chai. But now I want to try it mixed with hot chocolate. I'm going to go with spicy hot chocolate. But that was definitely – if this was like an election – I think Chai would have won. All right. Question. Snail Army asks, serious production question, because I'm a curious bird. Do you have any regrets vis-a-vis the audio drama you've produced so far? Things you wish you'd done, not done, or done differently? Who's got thoughts? I feel like everybody in this, like a lot of you in this room have very different perspectives on the making of the work. So you might have different, very different answers for this. I mean, I have very specific answers. Go for it, Jim. Um, so, I, I mean, I think, and Jeffrey can talk a little bit more to this, uh, a, a lot of season one, um, we went. there's a reason we went back and, rem- and did a remastered version, is that we wanted to put sort of our best foot forward, and we realized that people starting off were starting off with probably our weakest stuff. So so there there's some of that. I know specifically for me, I can't listen to Tunnel Claps anymore um, because there's some very – now being several years after that, having written that, um, there are things that I am aware of now that I'm like, oh, I read that's, – that's icky. That's – that's problematic. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have written that. Um, so, like, if I could, I would go back and rewrite that episode, Jeffrey. And the, I mean, there there are bits and pieces here and there that I can that like I can go back to like decisions where I'm like, I I wish this this bit would have gone into it. There's also the the robot apocalypse that I had planned. <laughs> so those those are mine. Save that on the shelf for later. Mm-hmm. I have three. Um, I don't want to harp too much on Cassie, but I I did when I was making peace with her 
having uh, been killed off as a character. Uh, I did mourn what I had hoped could become of her character. I've always looked longingly at the science family and thought, that could have been me. Or imagined the the wedding that Aww. she and Snidge would have had at the end of one of the next series, seasons and the exploration of what uh, love-based uh, commitment ceremonies would be like sociologically and culturally in heart life, whether or not those were something that people were allowed to have or had to be like done speakeasy style, like under the radar. So people so the higher ups didn't find out um, Tumblr fan art, please. And, <laughs> and and Ellie, you just killed half of the audience just now. You, you just broke their hearts. Yeah, it's so sad. I, I was just excited for her to have more arc that didn't come from her getting shoved out of 50 floor window. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's so beautiful. I don't want to I don't want to stop you talking, but like I think I think and maybe this is just my cold Caligari heart coming through. But there's something so beautiful that she just died. I know. And she's not she's not being like uh brought back becoming like some some shadow of her former self or some pale imitation that she she will always be like young and beautiful and strong and brave and all of those things and she will never be crawling on a little spider body <laughs> it it also speaks to something about this world and this universe that death death is real because mm. especially when we have characters like andrew who are like coming back all the time Right. That or Elizabeth too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. But but it, it speaks to the fact that in this reality, like de- death is a real thing, um, anyway. even when you're not killed by Chamberlain. Uh, the next one would be that I never got to voice a mole person, and the third one would be if we were still uh, writing one-offs or fringe shows. Uh, the ideas that I had always uh, nursed after the first one would be. Either a mole sitcom <laughs> or an immersive experience that was a heart life produced cooking show. Uh, you know, regrets is a really hard thing to think about in this context because there are, there are definitely pieces of the show that I look back on and I think, wow, I sure was, you know, what, 23... 22 when we started this project like no i wasn't 22 i was young though like you're on my age aren't you something like that um yeah no so like anyway like very young when i started that and like that shows through and i'm like wow you know i have learned so much about different people i've learned so much about myself um and you know like many of the things that i was trying to say i was not able to at that point and i was able to say clearly because of you know, inherent biases that I hadn't figured out or, or just like, you know, cultural stuff bouncing around. I can, I can chime in a a little bit here. Um, I am super, let me just premise this, that I'm super uh, pleased. I've been very happy with my involvement in the show. Um, So I don't want this to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm crabbing because I'm not, I'm, I've have been super, super pleased with watching the arc of the show grow and, uh, mainly because of fan feedback and sort of like the great people that I work with. Like I'm, I'm really happy to always come back to the recording studio and come back to the table reads. But I kind of think like my one sort of regret was there was a time 
when um I was a writer for the show and we had talked about like do you and I had I had told Jeff like eh well you know yeah I get it I'd rather be an actor than a writer and uh you know that's 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 still pretty much true um <laughs> you know that's still mostly true. I mean let's be honest in a perfect world I would be a writer and an actor and a you know a sculptor and you know insert everything else you know a scientist and an astronaut but you know realistically um but I, I very, very, very early on in the very beginnings of the show, I had had a, a story arc and a script where um, Caligari was a very different character when Caligari was first written. Um, Caligari was sort of like a corporate doctor that was, well, I guess sort of in a similar way. who was sort of like, oh, yeah, I don't I didn't really buy the corporate thing. But Caligari had a um, assignment from the corporation, which was to be the personal doctor for a uh, leader of a cult. And the the cult was this fringe thing that the the company like allowed to exist because it was uh, because the company because the the guy who was the leader of the cult was someone like West who had been around since Lazarus. Lazarus yeah he'd been around since before the time the company kept him around because he was old and he remembered the time before and he was the he wrote the he wrote the company book on indoctrina- indoctrination and like mind control so the company kept him alive because they wanted to get that information out of him. But he was a horrible person. Caligari hated him more than anyone else. And he basically like kept a cult around just to grow organs for him. Because he, you know, every because you, know, you know, every couple of years something would fail on him and he had, you know, blah, 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 blah. And some and someone had to get murdered so that he could harvest their organs, or maybe not murdered if it, he was just harvesting their eyes or their, you know, whatever. Sister Sister, yeah. Sister what Sister Sarah Sister Sarah, Sarah the Sightless. Who did the propaganda? Yeah, she did the propaganda for them. Uh, but I had written this whole arc that – and it comes up. There are one or two references to it that are really obscure. I can name them. <laughs> well, of course you can write name them. You're a writer. Uh, the reference to Near St. Nick. Yep. Um, very early on, the Mole Peoples make a reference to Near St. Nick who was a figure in the organ harvesting cult. Um, and, then there are re- and then there's a direct reference – to it in uh, possibly my one of my favorite episodes that I've written, the Exclusion Day Carol, um, which again is sort of my love letter to Caligari. Um, but uh, they mention Adele Lazarus, who was having an orgus, organ harvesting cult until they found out and ripped her to shreds. Yeah. So I, I, I the, uh, my only regret is that that didn't become part of the main story, which is once again, it's not like a. You know, I'm very, I'm very happy with what what sort of happened. But I'm like, ah, oh, I kind of wish that idea had gone somewhere. But I do also when Jim, I hear Jim talk about the like Animaniacs versus uh, Battlestar Galactica. I feel like that's pulling it from an even darker region, um, that you know may or may not make sense. But I always kind of like you know from Repo. So so what? And I hope that like some new audio drama producers are listening to this. Because I can say that after eight seasons, and really nine seasons, because we did season one twice, nine seasons of producing this show, only at this very last time have I successfully figured out a system for tracking recordings and scheduling recordings efficiently. (laughs) And it happened this time, and and it worked, and it took me... So many years and so much heartache and so much is patience. This, is this the entire reason we're doing a second show after this? Just yes. so you can keep <laughs> yes, using absolutely. that system? So I can organize it. Yeah, okay, great. Like, I mean, our first city, you know, 
fans often comment on how big and sprawling and extensive it is. And let me tell you, when you are corralling, when you are processing schedules of that many actors who are so damn talented that they get cast in everything, um, and um, no, but, you know, coordinating, you know, 20 plus 30 schedules of people um and making sure that as things get refined that you have all the right people on the right days and inevitably you don't like only in this last year did i find what was really i think a foolproof schedule and only one person was called once for a day that they didn't need to be there and um that's a win so like Boy, if if it, the the only like maybe the only regret I have is that I didn't find that. <laughs> I only found it through blood, sweat, lots of tears, um, post-it notes, and printed out Excel sheets <laughs> spread all over my entire apartment. Um, learning from the amazing organizer uh, that is Betsy Palmer, who uh, did a few seasons of scheduling and now runs all the live events. Um, and is one of the most organized and talented people I know. Also, my partner for, you know, one of my partners for, <laughs> for you know, full disclosure. But um, I'll second. She's yeah. pretty damn good at a no. spreadsheet. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I would. Absolutely. I could never do what Betsy does. I like to imagine that it involves uh, uh, stick pins with red thread. Oh, yeah. Strung amongst them like you're trying to solve a murder. Oh, yeah. We create string rooms, yeah. And so if you're if you're out there producing and you're finding that part to be a headache, like... You're not bad at this. This is really hard. Um, and so give yourself a break. I have no regrets. Yeah. Amen. This is, this Amen, like, sister. It's so interesting. And I've said this, you know, to, to, to friends. I know I've said to you that as an actor working on the show, primarily only as an actor, it's so different from the acting experience as in a play. Where retakes? Well, well, I but love with, that. yes, but also like, I, like I was saying before, I'm sort of in just the middle, the middle part of this process, and so by the time the finished product is released out into the world, first of all, it's probably been six months since I've said the lines out loud, and uh, and so I get to listen to it with with surprise and delight, and I haven't heard all of the. You know, I'm, I heard it the read through, but the episodes changed so much that, like, if I'm not in an episode, I won't have heard it for a year before I hear it as a as a final product. So it's really like I just get to be a part of this thing that I that I am a fan of, and uh, you know, you go into the recording studio and you kind of do it however you want a few times, and then somebody else gets to decide which one to use. So it's a very like I I have no regrets. That's awesome. Cool. My my favorite part of that is listening to my friends who are like just joining the show late or or at, at certain points, mm-hmm. but listening to them comment on things that I recorded years ago, and and then making and it just gives me this is a great sense of nostalgia to hear about like someone else's like visceral emotional reaction to like you know when it's like this thing when, that happened in Clayton's yes, apartment five years ago. Yes, <laughs> right, right. I remember doing the recording and remember what the recording was like, and the recording was like you know. You know, Clayton like shaking me so I can get a the right oh, yeah, physical yeah, yeah, sound yeah. out of it, or, <laughs> or you know, like 
you know, Ellie and I like staring at each other and emoting across the microphones that, that gets completely lost by an audio drama, right? But, but it doesn't but get it doesn't, lost. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it, it got us where we needed to be to have yeah. a vocal performance. It did. It yeah. did. It doesn't get lost when I hear one of my friends saying like, oh my God, I listened to episode this and whatever. And, you know. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, that's cool because it's something that I'm so used to theater where you're you you're you're literally cool. looking at your audience and, and gauging your audience audience's reaction and, and and changing your performance based on your audience. And it's so freeing to be just uh, at the mic with a safe group of people. The the um, room that Jeffrey and Clayton and the writers have cultivated is uh, is a really safe and exciting place to experiment and. Uh, not only is there the opportunity for retakes, but you don't have to worry about being pretty <laughs> when you're delivering your lines. Like you can ha- put yourself in whatever ridiculous posture you need to get the right sounds for what is happening to your character in a way that is just it's so different from stage work in a way that's freeing in a way I, I had never experienced before working with this crew. OK, Catnip, I have a really important question for you. This comes from Snail Army, who wants to know if you will be their mentor slash older sibling slash parent. Note, I'm not high maintenance, I promise. (laughs) That's amazing. And I squeed so hard (laughs) when I read that question. Um, I will totally say that I'm an only child and I'm absolutely accepting applications for siblings. Great. I've always wanted one. Super. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> send, send those to info at ourfaircity.com. So there there are two questions that are very similar. There's one uh, from Dibplusgoodful. Uh, Double plus good. Double plus good. It's from full. 1984. As I said, <laughs> on Twitter. It's French. Um, C'est pas français. Dear supervisor at OFC Radio, as a new policy, I've caught up on all the episodes from the Department of Memory. What do I do now? Which I, I feel I feel we we've discussed that. However, there's also oh here it is. It's a uh, Jervis Tech Seven is trying to create a movie trailer using clips and visuals from various media oh. for Our Fair City, and he's looking or he she they um, person. is person is looking for some visuals, some uh, sources to draw from, some visual media that uh, might inspire. Uh, what maybe served as inspiration in making our fair city. Oh, okay. So, uh, first of all, Brazil. Brazil and 12 Monkeys, absolutely. Um, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer, yeah, absolutely. Is it weird that what I think of is Tank Girl? Oh. No, oh, not at all. Absolutely, yeah. So here's, uh, you know, I, this, is, this, this is cheating kind of, but um, Palladium's uh, role-playing game from the 90s, Rifts, is an excellent uh, is is one of the places where I have always pulled like visual inspiration in the terms of like mashing up like really clean shiny chrome and like grungy awful stuff. Can you, um, could you get any more postmodern? <laughs> right. Gosh. Oh, other, oh, I would also say City of Lost Children and Delicatessen, oh, two Jean-Pierre yeah. Genet movies from the uh, early to late nineties. Delicatessen, I guess nineties is, is how you call like, that. Is the horror is the funny horror end 
of our fair city. Like any time where there's been a sound effect that you'd be like, oh! <laughs> Which um, means about every three episodes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Delicatessen is a great place to draw a lot of that from. Funnily enough, the director who made Amelie. Yes. So, like, that's a weird juxtaposition. Amelie was his first film without the art designer Marc Carroll involved in any of his work. So you got to imagine that if Janae was the levity... Of that relationship, what would one of Mark Caro's films on his own look like? Woof. It's like the inside of a butcher bag. So I think this might be an interesting place to to bring this question up. So Marsha and I once at one point had a, a long conversation about how if you were going to make the film or TV version of the show. Like the Netflix original sure. series. Would... I would cast myself. <laughs> Fuck you, famous people. Explicit tag. Would, sorry, would, explicit tag twice. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not going to go into the fact that we'd cast the whole show, because that's a, like a whole other episode. But specifically, how would you handle the moles? Would they be CGI? Would they be uh, practical effects? Would they be animation a la Roger Rabbit? We may, ta- we may have talked about this for like an hour. I would, I would want... Practical effects. I would want Jim Henson puppets. I'm totally with you. There. Yeah, that might totally be like generational. Like, but there's also yeah. like there's there is there is some of this. There's some of our world that lives in the same place um, as Doctor Who, like like mm. the the re, the reboot the reboot. Um, in terms of it's like living on the Galactica Animaniacs spectrum, mm-hmm. and so. I, st- I still that, find practical effects yeah. better. Right, that's why. That's right. I would support a practical. So that effect would be because that I would think... be more like like ma- like actors in makeup than Muppets. Well, I... or or like uh, Farscape yeah. Muppets. I feel like you could also make an argument, and this again is probably generational, but depending on how much levity or darkness, like how deep into the uncanny valley you wanted the mole people to live. I kind of would like to see a treatment of them using stop motion animation like uh, Ray Harryhausen or That's um, my picture for the meat wall. Uh, Jens Venkmeyer's kind of work. Harry, Harryhausen meat wall completely. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe, and the ant people. Maybe that's a good way of all looking at ant, that. Ant people are all, you know, xylophone skeleton style. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because that's uh, like when I think claymation, I think large marge. And oh, I think yeah. oh my God. Uh, the gnomes from Return to Oz, and those sure. those were Return movies that scared the crap out of me when I, I was younger. I love stop motion. So yeah. The other option would be doing it kind of like rotoscope style. <gasps> but I feel like that would indicate that they are otherworldly. Well, I think if I were going to rotoscope anything, I might like... What do you mean rotoscope? Um, so like, like tracing in, over cellular animation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, like in, wake life, waking life? Waking life. Yeah. The old-fashioned yeah. Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. yeah. The not Ralph the Peter Jackson one. Right, right, right. or, or I might... Well, Ralph Bakshi, not Rankin and Bass. Yeah. yeah. I think the only thing I would rotoscope in that way, and it would never be explained, but I would rotoscope Chamberlain at every moment he was on screen. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and just leave that sitting there for the audience to go... What, what the f? What? What is that about? Because he's otherworldly. Yeah, like yeah. just leave that in there and just like. Sorry, I was going to jump in and say, um, if anyone out there has read any of the John Dies at the End book series by David Wong, like I'd imagine Chamberlain and the Shadow People being of a piece together. Like yeah. you could probably do that in the same way. Also, also good stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
Vrak on Tumblr asks, uh, first says, thank you so much for all the hard work. And You're for- welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> and for holding together as Arthur City becomes ever more frighteningly prescient. As writers or performers, what was the mo- most surprising change over the course of the show, either in plot events or production? For me, it's it's been... <laughs> How frighteningly prescient it's become. We actually, um, Jeffrey Clayton and I had to have a conversation, or we're having a conversation just a little few days ago um, about the, I mean, this, I'm going to be spoiler free, but we were talking about the ending, ending of the series and trying to find, trying to figure out what tone we wanted to hit with how to end it. Because of the current political situation and, like, do we go full-on, like, didactic message? Do we try and give our listeners who maybe, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are having a hard time because of what's going on now. Like, do we try and give them a little bit more catharsis? Like, how do we do that? And that's something we never thought we'd have to deal with. I know I never thought I'd have to, like, mm-hmm. uh, have to deal with it. I just wanted to write a silly show where people's heads get cut off and stuck on spider legs. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's a, been a tricky conversation for a lot of creators, especially in our community right now. I'm going to uh, shoehorn in, uh, plug the other community that I belong to here in Chicago is a theater company dedicated to putting horror on stage, Wild Claw Theater. And one of the conversations we've been having over the past several months have been about what our responsibility is to our community uh, as practitioners of horror storytelling in legitimately scary times, whether or not it's uh, incumbent on us to provide escape for our audience or uh, catharsis uh, to our audience in the form of uh, arming them for real-world parallels to the stories we're choosing to tell. So that's sobering. (laughs) On a lighter note, um, I think, you know, three characters that I don't think, I certainly didn't think were going to become as central to the story were um, Andrew, Elizabeth, uh, excuse me, Andrew, Dr. Weston Caligari. Really? Yeah. I I think um, Andrew really grew from a kind of a... um, a side character to, you know, one of certainly one of the main characters of the show, Caligari from kind of a villain or an antagonist into, you know, one of the, the hero, <laughs> a key protagonist of every season. <laughs> is, that, is that what you were going to say? Remember, in the original original season, Nathan was the hero. Yeah. Right, and he's a tool. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was also another question on which characters we would like to kill, and the answer is Nathan. Nathan. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back that up. Nathan. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, I actually, I I feel the same way. Again, I'm going to gush about Caligari now. <laughs> um, going from a place of not having a good handle on, like, who the character was... And, like, really not being sure, like, really not liking the character because we didn't have a good handle on who she was or so what we were going to do. That might, might have been my fault. Um, no. Uh, but then, like, moving – but, like, 
and then Marsha came in and <laughs> and having and having her voice and being like, "Oh, okay, this is who the character is." And then like me personally feeling like really invested in the character because I'm like, "I'm going to put everything that I am into Calicari. <laughs> she has trouble making friends. I have trouble making friends. Here you go." <laughs> so, yeah, like like cuz originally everyone's favorite is was West. Like in my opinion, like everyone loved West. West was the wacky crazy guy and then like and he was my favorite and then slowly that changed and then like now Caligari's my favorite character in the entire series. I have a question for you then, yes. Jim. Do you go up elevators the hard way? <laughs> is that is that something Caligari gets from you? <laughs> no. Uh- <laughs> So real quick, I'm going to do a slight plug. Um, if you are terribly missing Our Fair City and just can't handle the wait for season eight, uh, check out some of our comics in our store. We have five or six of them. We have a number of them um, with writers and artists, uh, both locally, some who sent their stuff in to us. Um, check those out to continue the story of Our Fair City. Also, check out some friends of the show who also have podcasts uh, and radio shows. Check out ARS Paradoxica. Uh, the Bright Sessions is really good. Uh, Wolf 359. Um, if you're looking for something a bit spooky but a bit m- more realistic, uh, Blurry Photos is great. I love those guys. Um, also, Spirits Podcast. I love those girls. Um and uh, also, Mark Soloff has a show called Blaster Podcast. Check that out with his uh, roommate, Dettore Bellordo. Also, uh, check out Alka Hollywood. Our friends, Jared and Clint, drink and talk about movies and occasionally Ellie's on. Speaking to all the uh, possible audio drama creators out there, if you're interested in writing a short horror audio drama, I would love to hear from you with Wild Claw Theater. You can go to wildclawtheater.com. That's theater with an R-E because we are now taking submissions for our 10th annual Death Scribe, the International Festival of Audio Horror. Uh, This is a competition that we produce yearly, and we take the top five, our five favorite scary stories in uh, an audio drama format, and we perform them live. We'll be at Lincoln Hall this year, this December 4th. It's the first Monday in December, and you can see your script performed by some of the best actors in town, backed by a full band and a table full of Foley artists. So again, go to wildclawtheater.com for information on submitting. You have until July 31st, and I want you to scare me. And hey, Jim, where can we find Ansel Birch this time of year? Uh, This time of year, you can find him doing Starlight Radio Dreams here in Chicago. You can also find him on the internets doing the recordings of uh, Starlight Radio Dreams. Also featuring Kat Evans. Yeah, she's Lomi and the Time Traveler and Dora and all sorts of people. Um, And then when it's not this time of year, you can find Ansel at the Bristol Renaissance Fair with all of his friends. We know too many talented people. Yeah, we do. That's really the long and the short of this. Yeah. Uh We live in the best city. And then I think we're good. Uh, Thank you all so much. You that was great. I certainly learned a bunch of things that I didn't know. So I'm thrilled. Uh, Thanks for coming out and answering questions with me. 
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In the year 1889, there was nowhere in the world more exciting than London, England. Three cheers for Inspector Lestrade and the bad boys of Baker Street themselves, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson! Solved by Sherlock Bloody Holmes of 221 B Baker Street. Well, with any luck, we'll get a new brutal murder any day now. God, I wish. It's truly shocking you haven't solved anything in five years. The boys are both out of town for some case about a dog in Dartmoor this weekend. Sincerely, Martha Hudson. London's number two detective team just became number one. Fox and Stallion. Find us on Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr at 224BBaker or on our website 224BBaker.com. It's like they say, big breaks are 90% luck. What's the other 10%? Luck.